Holston reached out and touched the object before him, the white suit flaking away like brittle rock, and he could no longer support his head. He curled up in pain from the slow death overtaking him, holding what remained of his wife, and thought, with his last agonizing breath, what this death of his must look like to those who could see. This curling and dying in the black crack of a lifeless brown hill, a rotting city standing silent and forlorn over him. What would they see, anyone who had chosen to watch? Welcome back to the Let Tell Ends podcast, a safe place for folks who like the movie more than the book. We're recording this episode on Saturday, July 15th. Uh, welcome to episode number 72, where we will be discussing the adaptation Silo. Uh, I am your host, Will, and with me to talk things over is the suit-wearing, future-cleaning, and stargazing Mr. Eric himself. Say hello to the people eat. I want to go outside. I want to go outside. Say less. Oh, no. Say less. Oh, no. <laughs> Your levels just went way high. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm about to do that. Tone that down in post-production. But that's okay. I want to go outside. I don't because it's actually like a post-apocalyptic like heat wave outside right now. It's very hot outside. Um, very muggy. And so I'm good in here. Mm. You won't catch me saying I want to go outside. Well, you just did. So now you have Shit. to go clean. The, the the cameras yeah what a what a bummer of an activity like you have you the first thing you have to do is clean a lens and then you're gonna die yeah but you won't you won't clean you you, you say you, you say you won't clean but you will really. yeah they always say they won't but they always do sorry but, i like to get us off track to start but no it's okay take i us, lost take us i lost all my track and train of thought that is okay welcome hello everybody um some fast facts for you the book was written by hugh howie um, author of Shift, Dust, Sand, Beacon 23, among many other um, books and series. Uh, the book was initially self-published through the Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing uh, platform in July 2011, uh, and eventually uh, became a New York Times bestseller in 2012. Um, Goodreads rating of 4.22, um, so pretty pretty damn good. The show uh, on uh, Apple TV Plus had its special advanced screening at the 2023 Cannes series, uh, which happened in April, hmm. which is sort of a TV series for essentially counterpart to the Cannes Film Festival. Um, I think that their, the one this year was their sixth ever. Um, and it premiered on Apple TV Plus on May 5th this year. Uh, the show was developed by Graham Yost, um, the film star, I'm sorry, the series stars Rebecca Ferguson, uh, Rashida Jones, David Ayelowo, Common, and Tim Robbins. Uh, in June, um, Apple TV Plus actually renewed it for a second season. Spoiler. So, not Sorry. a limited series. Good news. Good news for the Silo fans. Do they have a? Uh, do we, they have like a? Is it Woolites? Like a the Silo stands or like a? Something? What about Woolites? Oh, Woolites. You know, because the book is. Oh, like a book. book the fans. omnibus is called Wool. Right. That's true. But yeah. it's it's the Silo series. You told me while you were reading that you actually preferred Silo. 
the, the title. Yeah, itself. but now that I know it's the Silo series, it makes more sense. Well, we'll, uh, you know, I guess it makes sense because it's the tool they use to clean mm-hmm. the lens. Um, they clean dust off was, the lens. Yeah, but why do you like Silo? That's a cool word. It is a cool word. So is wool. I mean, but wool is less imaginative. Like silo is is more evocative, I think. Mm-hmm. Probably like plays a, into the themes more. Yeah. Wool is like hard and bristly. Yeah. Bristly? Bristly. I prefer bristly. Rotten Tomato score 88%, Metacritic <laughs> 75. There we go. Um, Eric, can you give us a quick repa- uh, <laughs> recap? This yes. is a great intro to fucking <laughs> episode today. Go ahead, please. Go ahead. Wool tells the story of a dystopian future where generations of survivors live together in a subterranean silo. This society is stratified into blue and white collar workers and governed by strict regulations designed to protect the residents from the perceived horrors of the outside world. But, well, when a small group of residents start to believe that all is not what it seems, they threaten to unravel the stability of the silo. There's a lot of um, kind of like social studies elements here of we just talked about like you know people going outside to clean and like not wanting to but they always do it's kind of it's kind of the like it gives me a the vibes of the the uh shopping cart like corollary like do you return the shopping cart when you're done with it or do you just leave it wherever it is like outside Mm -hmm. of the grocery store Mm -hmm. people who you know are nice return the shopping cart people who aren't don't you go outside cleaning like you're about to die but like the last thing you do in your life is to help the people that you're leaving behind you know it'll never affect you it'll affect others but you still do it because you're like inherently good yeah it's funny i feel like the people that don't leave their shopping carts or they take them back have deeper issues i think we should round them up (laughs) And put them in a silo. And put them, send them out to clean. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, if you're a listener and you do that, I would stop that behavior um, because it's uh, it's frankly troubling. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's just despicable. Not, it's just it's just disrespectful on multiple levels. You're disrespecting the establishment where you just purchase your groceries from. You're disrespecting the workers who have to round them up. You're disrespecting the people who listen. I have a lot of thoughts about this. This is not where we thought this episode <laughs> was going, but I think it makes sense because it is yeah. this the wool does tell the story of sort of like, do you, or do you not follow the rules? Mm-hmm. Does society have the, not only the right, but the like, um, need mm-hmm. purpose to keep you in check. Essentially what Eric is trying to say is that people who don't put their grocery shopping cart back where it's supposed to go would never survive the silo yeah or they would be in charge of the silo or they would what i don't know be in charge of the silo. <laughs> yeah they would be we would get them we would get to them we would find them and we would take them out john wick style because we're raiders yeah so raiders of the lost shopping cart oh that's pretty good thank actually. you thank you all right um, this is anyways. the last episode of Bogan. <laughs> so we're gonna play our favorite game here two truths one lie Eric, are you ready? Yes. The author Hugh Howey had not planned to continue writing Wool until readers started asking for more of the story. That's number one. Number two, Tim Robbins' Tim Robbins's character characterization of Bernard, excuse me, was inspired by pro-lockdown politicians. And number three, Hugh Howey is an avid biker. Eric. What a, a string of statements here. 
that's you're welcome uh let me look at the back and see what hugh howie's interests are no um (laughs) on the jacket cover so i know that wool started as a short story i think published online and then he got like good feedback not unlike the andy weir story where it's self-publishing gains momentum gets like a, an actual book deal through a publisher so i i, th- I could see that being right because there there does seem to be well i guess the book is the omnibus excuse me is is broken into five different books so you could understand like book one is just the short story and then he added various length books onto it that then got collected so mm-hmm. i'm gonna think the first one is true okay um tim robbins inspired by pro lockdown politicians you have names of those politicians? No, but you can figure out who okay. they are, I think. Well, pro lockdown. That's interesting. So, okay. And then Hugh Howie is an avid biker. I don't. He, I did show you his Instagram. He's pretty fit. That's true. He he. Uh, Hugh, if you're listening, your Instagram is is pretty entertaining. Um, I just you're gonna be like he's not an avid biker he's an avid like skateboarder and I'm gonna be like all right you know <laughs> so I'm gonna have a, you know I'm gonna record. say that Tim Robbins characterization was not inspired by pro lockdown politicians it was actually inspired by pro <laughs> uh, anti lockdown politicians <laughs> you always do this you always fuck up <laughs> you should have went with the number three he's not an avid biker Although, actually I'm not sure if he is or not but he's an avid sailor. So okay. I just picked a different activity. Okay. So you were incorrect. So I was on the right path. By saying, yeah. You uh, always do this. You always pick, you always sniff out the right one and you like go the wrong direction. Okay. You always choose something else. Hugh Howie, take us on your boat. How about that? <laughs> yeah. So apparently he's an avid sailor. He's um, actually written a series of books called Wayfinding hmm. um, about sailing, I guess. And he's, I uh, was listening to the Ryan Rosilla podcast earlier with his interview with Hugh Howie. And he was talking about, he's basically sailed everywhere except for, or like most places except for the Indian Ocean, he mm. says was his next um, place to sort of tackle in that regard. So pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I found the Tim Robinson particularly interesting, especially for um, the politicos in the world. Because um, he was apparently, I, I didn't know this until reading his Wikipedia, he was pretty anti-lockdown. He was uh, anti, um, he, he basically sees it as... Um, like uh against free speech mm. uh, he's very pro free speech and um that essentially realm um and he was saying it's very anti-freedom to to have these lockdowns so and i feel like that changes i feel like you didn't know that about tim robbins and that might change your perception of him i'm good we'll move on <laughs> this uh, is not a political podcast but i just yeah. thought that was interesting what, are, what did we say you gotta flatten the curve you gotta flatten the curve tim robbins that's true we're still working on it Anyway, I didn't find out if he was vaxxed or not. I didn't go that far. Oh, the rabbit hole. yeah, that was more of a Daisy Jones conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, okay, awesome. So you lost again, but that's all right. There I'm be, I'm doing bad. There will these. be more. Yeah, you need to you need to go with your initial instinct is what you need to do. Yeah, I, I that was a layout. Well, it's a layout. Anyways, over under the number is two point five. The subject is the number of seven-figure offers Hugh Howie turned down from major publishers after the success of Wool online in, in the Kindle publishing platform. Oh, okay. Um, so there are five. There are five big New York publishing houses, and the Simon and Schuster is who published it, and they tried to buy. Or 
we did, Biden administration just knocked down a, a merger. So there's still five. Mm-hmm. So two and a half would be three. So three of the five would, I think it's got to be, I don't know. It's got to be less. Although this book kind of rules. So I could see a bidding war happen. I'm going to, here we go. <laughs> I'm spiraling. Um, you know, I'm going to say more because this book kind of rules. I'm going to say less because <laughs> this book kind of rules. <laughs> my thought was to say less, but I'm, I, my official pick was more. And you were incorrect. Yeah. I saw you nodding your head. <laughs> I was, you had it. You, I did have it. it. I did have it. Um, yeah. So it was two. The answer was two. Can so you just had... cut this? Can you cut all of this? And <laughs> Should we restart? No, no. <laughs> So basically, uh, the article I read online, uh, or multiple articles read, um, said that he had two seven-figure offers, so million-dollar offers, essentially, um, for the rights to publish Wool um, in paperback and hardback form. Um, but he decided to go with the six-figure offer with Simon & Schuster so they could secure the online-only rights. So they wouldn't essentially mm. touch anything online. He would essentially keep getting all that money from the online publishing so he so essentially they just had the you know the the physical publishing for wool so yeah i thought it was pretty interesting um and i'm sure he had a nice payday so So. he's using that money to sail the world yeah that's pretty like sick honestly i think he's probably that's the dream yeah he's probably made way more money though off of the self-publishing yeah so Anyways, right. just for any self-publishers out there, there is hope. Are you a do? You, I actually want to ask you, like, what are your thoughts on self-publishing? It's just in general, because I don't think we've ever had this conversation. Oh well, I'm not like anti-self-publishing. Like what? Yeah, like because I imagine your... he tried to publish this in other places for a while and probably failed, and was like, "Well, I think it's good." He the article I read basically stated that he he went the traditional publishing route the first time with his first book mm-hmm. and he i don't know if he didn't make he didn't make any comments about how that process went but he said he found the kindle publishing service i forget what it's called exactly but and uh decided to go that route because he had all the tools available to him and he figured why not just try this out why not use it and, and obviously it was the right decision yeah um, i obviously i can imagine the statistics around getting massive success through publishing and like the amount of people actually do it are fairly slim. Yeah. Cause I think there's like a few, there's, there's obviously the margin, like you mentioned, Andy Weir, there's this, and there's also the 50 shades of gray was apparently mm, okay. published. Um, so that one was obviously a massive success. Rightfully so. Cause but I... there, yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course. Uh, but the other ones I saw, I just Googled basically most famous self-published books and there were other ones I hadn't heard of before. And now I could be out of the loop, but those were the three that stood out to me. So, and I'm sure there's way more people who self-publish. Like I think our Chris Avampato, was oh, she self-published? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or did she get a publisher? I, I think remember. she had. I think she got a publisher. She got a publisher. Okay. Um, I can't remember. But yeah, but I mean, so when you're a, a writer and you're you kind of have like one shot at it, and if your first book fails by traditional publishing means, mm. you kind of have like an ick on you. Yeah. And it's like okay, we have a little bit of data on you, and it's that you're not worth money to go down like all of the yeah designing and pressing and whatever right so maybe he his first book like didn't do that well and he became uh, not like blackballed but just like it was more difficult after that maybe because less people wanted to work with him and so he was just like well 
I got this channel. Yeah. Um, the internet was blooming. Social media was blooming. Mm-hmm. Before we figured out, it was all bad for us. It was great times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was the. These are the good times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's also sci-fi. And yeah. so maybe there's less of an apparatus for like the big publishers to do sci-fi. Mm-hmm. I don't, maybe they understand it less. Yeah. I feel like the big publishers do a lot of like their non-fictions or traditional like general fiction. Really? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm making that up, but I don't. You, I mean, with him and The Martian, both very similar, like sci-fi that kind of like the chapters roll. Mm-hmm. Easy to read. Kind yeah. Of. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Okay, those are Eric's thoughts on self-publishing. There you go. Take it. <laughs> pro, still pro. <laughs> um, pro lockdown, pro self-publishing. <laughs> Eric's all about freedom. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break uh, and hear a word from our sponsor, but we will be right back. This episode of the Little Lens Podcast is brought to you by Windex. Trusted by generations for a streak-free shine, let Windex do your dirty work and clean your most important surfaces. Whether the two-way mirrors behind which you've hidden cameras to surveil dissidents or the high-powered lens through which you relay images of a diseased world to quell a rebellious populace, with Windex, you can see it all. Windex, what's going on in there? And we are back. Thank you from that brief word from our sponsor, Windex. Windex, keep your silo clean. Big sponsors, always have been, always will be. Uh, I, I use them to clean my windows and to clean my mirrors. I can tell you, you, you have a streak free shine. Yeah. And to, to clean my cameras as well. Cause I have a bunch of cameras in my apartment just, just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Something happens or are there any dissidents in my, that decide to show up. Hey, it's a great product, right? <laughs> so that's all there is to it. I need to be able to see what I want. <laughs> so anyways, Eric, this is my favorite portion of the pod, but please pitch me daddy uh mr tim cook i have a winner for you here today you know how tv networks like yours and others are chasing the next game of thrones a big budget show that can span several seasons and hold the attention of both viewers and critics alike well i've got it here now tap taps book it's a sci-fi series called silo written by as we mentioned self-publishing success story hugh howey um much like andy weir we already talked about him. He mm-hmm. Wrote it, mm-hmm. way of success to a major publishing deal, which is great news for you as a TV producer because it means you have a built-in audience for the book. Not only that, but it was loud enough to get him noticed by the big five publishing houses. Um, in addition, there's not just this one book. I my backpack was too small to carry the other two in the series, but there's three, which means we can make as much TV as you want. You want three seasons a book a season we can do that you want four you want five how big can this thing go uh 140 stories below the ground is, is mm-hmm. how has how far we can dig uh onto the story though we're in a world you've never seen before it's called the series is called wool yeah. the book's called wool the series is called silo mm-hmm. you know where those are underground oh shit society has moved under there because the world above is toxic esg goals anyone <laughs> But all is not well under the surface either. There's class divides, government mistrust. There's imagination in this book out the wazoo. There's a twist too, one that will keep the audience hooked and excited for all the subsequent seasons you would like. There's also a story being told on on three different fronts, which allows the camera to move around and tell a richer, wider story. There's our hero, a woman 
of movie star age who is fighting to bring the truth to light there's her blue collar friends who work to support her from afar while also raging waging a rebellion <laughs> raging war waging a rebellion um against uh the lead of our third story the big bad a power hungry it guru whose job it is to keep the secrets of the silo from going wide there's a lot in here to like and um this could all be yours for the low low price of several million a <laughs> hundred million maybe probably uh, we should look at what the budget is um yeah okay sure why not i'm apple i've got i'm flush with cash i've already tried foundation which got a second season she got a second season i'm not sure how popular it is enough to get a second season i suppose yeah but i'm already i've already gotten a lot of money from ted lasso i've got already got a lot of money from is there anything else the morning show (laughs) the morning (laughs) show yeah maybe yeah we're trying to basically we're trying to take over the the streaming game netflix is faltering we're trying to get in there so this sounds pretty good it is interesting that they have silo and foundation i know i don't know the story of foundation but it they feel both they're very like prestige sci-fi tv Mm -hmm. shows oh yeah they feel like they are the exact same audience too which is kind of interesting a little bit different um at, or foundation is is based on the foundation series by isaac asimov and is like one of is like one of the pinnacle science fiction what are you series saying? you think i'm saying it's like classic science you think fiction. wool's kind of mid what, what are you saying well <laughs> no i love i love wool but as we'll get into but it's a it's a much newer audience for wool it's a much younger audience foundation is a bit different because it's a classic it's like for it's i wouldn't say it's for older people but Chances are the people who've read it are much older people. Do you think older people know how to find Apple TV Plus? Not unless they just signed up for, or they just bought a MacBook, which I'm not sure they're or doing. Or a new iPhone. Maybe an iPad. Maybe they bought an iPad or an mm, iPhone. Okay. They might. I I have thoughts about Foundation that like we can get into later. But I've like, never seen it. We're not talking about Foundation. And I haven't episode. read it. Yeah. But yeah, I think, totally agree. Wool is a recent science fiction we yeah. can, I don't know if we can say classic, but very popular book uh, written within the past 15 years. It's got a huge base, right? A lot of fans of it. Um, and it's accessible. It's easily readable. Um, it's also got shades of mystery, right? Mm-hmm. Mystery story. Shades of like 1984, like police state, right? So that sort of the dystopian aspect of it. And it's also, I would argue that's incredibly relevant to today, right? We have this whole ongoing conversation around global warming and what that means for the earth and it's actually probably more relevant today than it was in 2011 when it came out um the hottest day on record was like last week right it's great everything's great <laughs> it's the best yeah we should actually the government is probably watching the show like maybe we should like think about this guys yeah the water in miami this weekend was like 90 degrees the, the water, water was 90 yeah. degrees to yeah. what yeah isn't that like isn't that a sauna like what's a sauna temperature it's like 90 98 maybe not a sauna. Maybe a little bit higher. It's like a hundred. It's like a hundred and five. I meant hot tub. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is like oh, a little bit over hundred. So it's not far. Yeah. But a hot tub is like ninety five, maybe. No, I think a hot tub is like a hundred plus. Oh, is no. I think we got it backwards. I think a sauna. Let me Google it. <laughs> I think a sauna is hundred plus. Like it's. I think it's like. Isn't a sauna and a hot tub the same thing, or a sauna is the room? No, a hot tub is the sauna is the room. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I meant to say hot tub, but yeah, I said sauna. Average temperature. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is this seems like a hit. 
it seems more of a hit than Foundation, in my opinion. And you got Rebecca Ferguson, movie star, just starred in Dune. Mm-hmm. She's also been in the Mission Impossible series. That's right. So she's box box office essentially. And we're getting the the director of the Imitation Game. Yeah, Morgan Oscar nominated. Morgan Tildum. Tildum. Yeah. Why, and, why am I doing your job for you? And Graham Yost. You should be pitching me, not me. Who wrote Justified? You. Oh yeah, that's true. Why well, I, I hit you with the ESG goals, anyone? Yeah, I what is made ESG? It funny. I said I laughed, but I didn't know what it was. Uh, environmental it... sustainability and uh, I forget. I wasn't prepared to have to say what <laughs> the three letters meant. Between so an average governance governance. So an average sauna is between 150 175 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's too hot. Traditional saunas are 120 to 130. I think a hot tub is like 100. Yeah, I think a hot tub. Average temperature for a hot tub. Over under. This is what the people want to know. 100 to 102. Yeah. So yeah. So it's basically a hot so tub. I was right. <laughs> but no, but it's a little bit cooler than a hot tub. And there's a no, little bit cooler. And there's no jets. If only I had a hot tub here. Yeah, but I do think this book is pretty relevant to today. And um, there's there's just enough to the world to keep you interested for a while because there's what's happening outside and there's what ha- what's happening inside. And then the big reveal, which we don't have to spoil now, is that there's like, there may be more. You just revealed it. No, Spoiler there alert. There may be more. <laughs> there might, they may not be more. That's true. You there may not I mean? be. Because uh, part of this book is actually like the belief that there is more. That's why people in this book go crazy and yeah, more to, to go outside. More to the world than just asylum. Yeah. That's true. So it is kind of one of the overarching questions. Like, is, are we being kept in here against our will? And we should be able to go outside because everything's fine. Or is there a reason we're being kept in here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's enough like confusion to uh, inspire certain people to you know, rebel and get yeah. a little anxious and, and want to know and want to go outside. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Amen. So, so um, I'm all in. I was super excited when I heard about this series being adapted. I I read this book, maybe not when it first came out, but... W- I bought the paperback like maybe 2012 or 2013, something like that. Read it um, and thoroughly enjoyed my second reading of it. What were your thoughts? Uh, do you want to ask a first uh, question? Uh, another question? Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, we can, I mean, we can keep it spontaneous. Um, I like this book a lot. I, I think it rocks harder than the last ever performance of Daisy Jones and the six at Soldier Field. Wow. Um, I found it extremely creative. I thought there was interesting questions about whether people are inherently good and corrupted by society or, you know, society being corrupt. The world building I thought was great and pretty cleverly interconnected between like the various people within the silo. Um, Plotting was great. The chapters are short and propulsive. So, and it does the Andy Weir thing where like every chapter ends on a cliffhanger. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably like a more of an internet thing where it's like, come back. I don't know. It's already sort of uh, episodic mm-hmm. uh, because it had to be on the internet for people to like continue to come back mm-hmm. for him. Um, I feel like I knocked out the first 100 and the last 200 really, really fast. My only real uh, gripe with the book is was about like the, the love stories within it. I think those didn't fully work with me. Um, her... Her name is Juliet, the main character, uh, famous heroine of Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. And so there's enough of like, she's experiencing forbidden love with this character, George, and his death sort of inspires her to figure out what happened. And that's kind of the propulsion 
in the show which we'll talk about in the book it's it's not quite as like important it's just sort of like a memory to her that keeps her flame lit but and i know it's not really the the point so i was kind of okay with that but then it she develops a relationship with this guy lucas who helps her uh as she navigates the plot of the book redacted um (laughs) but they they sort of develop a romantic relationship that i kind of like didn't fully get into i didn't ship it if Mm -hmm. you will Mm um and I know that the story wasn't about these love stories, but at the end, her relationship with Lucas becomes really important to solve the question, to solve the plot. And I don't know. I, it didn't that those two characters didn't really work for me in gotcha. that way. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean, I, I really like this book. I gave it, well, I won't tell you what I gave it, but I, I thought it was very, very good. Awesome. I'm glad you liked it. I thought, I thought you would. Um, I was excited to read it again. And I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than the second time. But I agree with you that the love story, especially between Lucas and her, is not necessarily, I wouldn't say believable, but like it's hard to buy into. Um, I understand their connection and how they initially meet and their curiosity for the outside world and stuff like that. But he seems to fall in love with her like pretty quickly. He tries without, to kiss her very fast. Yeah. yeah. And like they do the same thing in the in the show we'll get yeah. into problematic it's a little bit i mean you know that ha- happens in reality yeah. right like yeah. but like if you want to have a real love story on on print like it needs to be a little bit more maybe flushed out believable but i will say i remember reading a scene um recently where he's with bernard and i think it's a it's uh where his mother comes to it's yes. after the rebellion this is we're getting into the book here this is like part four or five i think and he's like with his mother and his mother is kind of like baby him like oh are you getting enough to eat and stuff like this and he's like he's in his 50s i think or 40s maybe lucas yeah i think so. no 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 he's in his like early 20s oh is that right yeah okay misread but um yeah he's basically a mama's boy and it kind of plays into that a little bit so his character is interesting he's like kind of young and naive and a little bit of a child um so that part i can kind of see but yeah i agreed with you on the the love thing because she's in her mid to late 30s and that's one yeah. of her first reservations is like i'm not we can't do this i'm like old and that's right i'm not clear to have a child yeah that's one of the rules in this world is that you have to be clear to have a child have your birth um control removed yep and all that um and so he's some as someone who's younger he's like thinking about that kind of stuff where she's like over it but also like the way where they are positioned in the story makes it difficult for them to have a relationship because they're just like not together very much yeah and i I do get that like you know sometimes the heart grows fonder um i don't know it just i had a hard time fully getting into both of them like Mm -hmm. developing feelings without some of the 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 needs it was like i needed more i needed more things to feed into the relationship than i yeah. was than i was seeing yeah but no, a small gripe i don't know yeah no it's fine it's not okay but fine. <laughs> um okay cool so what parts of the book were you excited to see adapted sorry that was a question i meant to ask you i kind of like the First. order we did this episode better so we'll we'll okay. maybe we'll start special. um i was interested to see so well let me start with the the world i i was just generally interested in the concept and the layout of the silo because in the book 
Um, it's described as having different industries on different levels. And the further down you go, different jobs, you know, there's farms, there's, it's like fully sustainable. Everything you could ever possibly need can be produced within this silo. Uh, so just seeing that visually was interesting in the book. I sort of read it as like this big giant pit with like a staircase around the outside that was spiraling down. Mm. And there's a lot of action. There's, there's a lot of staircases. Mm -hmm. It was a very staircase forward book. (laughs) And so I wanted to know what that was going to look like because there's like warfare fought on the staircases. There are people who travel by staircase to get from the top to like 140 levels below. And I don't think they're story levels. I think they're even, it's even further. Mm -hmm. So it's a real like cardio workout for these like 60 year old, this, uh, or John's the uh, starting mayor, mayor, um, to get all the way down there. Mm -hmm. And a part of me was like, is there going to be an elevator in the show just so that people can like get places faster? That was kind of, that was meant to be a joke, but you know, uh, sorry, I was, I don't know. I I wanted to see what the layout was. And then secondly, I guess we're getting into some spoilers here now. Sorry. But part of this book, Juliet is not in the silo. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know if they were going to keep that script in the show, because for a first season, when you're building the world and you're building a lot of, character relationships to immediately like remove the hero and not let her interact and build with people. Uh, I think my might've been challenging mm-hmm. and uh, I know in the book, I mean, she's she, one of Hugh Howie's strengths is to, is to write interiority. And so all of, all of those sections are good. I, I enjoyed them, but for a visual medium and like the, as you're building a show around a person, I, I thought it might be kind of weird and unnecessary and perhaps ill-advised to, to like sideline her for mm. five, six episodes yeah. before we even get to meet her and right. see how she interacts. So yeah. I, I wanted to know if, if they were going to keep that script or flip that script. Gotcha. Which we'll get into obviously a little bit later, but so it sounds like you were interested in seeing the, the world building uh, as well as the visuals of the silo um, and how essentially those characters interacted. Um, each other yeah i just want to see if jules where jules was all 10 episodes yeah because we can talk about it later but like there's a there it what they're doing is very is like makes a lot of sense to me in the show where it's like you can build to that mm-hmm. yeah and then the finale you mean yeah yeah that it's a good like build point yeah but if you're doing that in episode three yeah then all of a sudden for seven episodes you're sort of like yeah. floating in the wind and you're learning stuff but it's also like is that enough time to get her to that big moment? Right. Or it doesn't make more sense to have more time with her so that when she gets to that moment, it's, it's like better earned. Yeah. And we should be clear with the audience The So the book is broken out into five books, essentially mm-hmm. uh, five parts. And uh, the series essentially ends at the end of part three of the book where spoiler alert, um, Julia is sent out to clean and she um, is able to withstand or repel the toxins in the air, unlike other um, patrons of the silo who have gone out to clean and, and have died pretty soon after. Um, and she actually makes it over the hill, and she realizes, oh, my God, there are other silos. Or essentially, that's the big reveal of the series. Yeah, um, That is revealed um, at the end of part three. Yeah, which is like halfway through the... Halfway through the bookish. Yeah. Because the second, the part four and part five are very, are large. Yeah, large portions of the book. 
Um, but yeah, that was an interesting part. I, I hadn't really thought of that when coming to the, to the book. I actually thought the pacing was interesting to me because I thought this is taking really slow. They haven't done a lot of things. She hasn't even been sent out to clean. Like she hasn't like it. It's almost initial, like the first 200 pages or so where it's like Bernard is going to get her to go out to clean. And like, this is essentially his, his mission in life. Um, I was really interested to see obviously the, the silo, like you mentioned, and I was really interested to see Bernard. Like he was my least favorite, favorite character. If that makes sense. Like he was, he was such a good villain in the book that I was like aching for that feeling in the, in the show. And it's very different in the show. We'll get into it. Not very different, but uh, different in the show. Um, but I was interested to see him and their um, dynamic, I guess. And um, yeah, kind of that. So he is a good big bad. I think just someone who controls all aspects of the silo is a dangerous person. You know, the villain is better in the book than the show. In my opinion, and we can get just into jumping that ahead. Jeez. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, so really like the book. It's about five, six hundred pages, depending on whichever platform you're reading. But it's a quick five, six hundred. It's not like it's not super flowery prose. It's well written. Yeah. It's efficient, but it's also like you mentioned, it's a lot of interiority. Yeah. I, like we've compared him to Andy Weir a couple of times on this episode. They write very differently, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like Andy Weir is very technical. Technical, yep. Um, and very like kind of like dad humorish. Yeah, yeah. And I would say this book is not very much like that. Mm-mm. Like it's it's written more like I don't know, like a general fiction would be, mm-hmm. but just with with like wider world building. It doesn't go like super deep into like the names of things, like a like right. Dune, right? Where it's everything is a name. Yeah. But it gives you enough around what's happening around the characters kind of immerse you into the world. Yeah. I think this is the kind of sci-fi I like. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I do like anywhere, but this one where it's like, there are theoretical questions to ponder. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to tell you that like this box is not called a box. It's called like a, right. Uh, whatever. I forget what Paul Atreides puts his hand in. Um, that's oh, like yeah. the fear is the mind killer thing. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, there's, there's not like silly names for things. Things are, you know what things are. Right. But also there's enough new and like questionable in the world that it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Agreed. Well, that's it. Um, Cool. We are going to take a quick break. Listen to the trailer for silo and we'll be right back. We do not know how long we have been underground or who built the silo. We do not know why there is no life outside the silo. We only know that here is safe. And there is not. Have you ever noticed anything strange about the silo? Some mysteries are best left unsolved.
What's the big question? What if everything you know to be true was one big lie? And we are back. Thank you for listening to the trailer to Silo. Um, alrighty. So before we get into the adaptation itself, um, we have another section here where Eric is going to learn you something. Eric, take it away. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about Plato's allegory of the cave. Will, I bet you didn't have this on your bingo card. No, I did not. Uh, but we're going to work through this together. So okay. in 375 BC, Plato puts out his allegory in his larger work called Republic. The allegory is written as a conversation between his brother Glaucon and his mentor Socrates. And in the allegory, it tells the story of a group of prisoners who have lived all their lives chained to the wall of a cave facing a blank wall in the cave, basically. Um, However, they are able to see shadows projected on the wall from objects passing in front of a crackling, roaring fire behind them. Um, And they give names to these shadows. These shadows are... The prisoner's reality but not accurate representations of the real world you would say because they're just shadows they don't know what is making the shadows they just see the shapes and they describe them as they see them um so these shadows put forth by plato represent the reality that we can perceive through our senses like sight and hearing and such while the real and true objects are those that can be perceived through reason and higher levels of reality So in this allegory, Plato puts forth the idea that a philosopher like him is someone who can, someone who is freed. A philosopher like Plato is someone who is freed from the cave and can understand that the shadows on the wall are not the reality. Mm -hmm. He can understand the higher reality of what is causing the shadows. The other prisoners do not have the desire to do that um, because they are comfortable with what they see and they yeah they don't understand what else what's out there right right so they're they're fine not knowing they're comfortable seeing what they see and believing what they believe is real right whereas the context someone others might use like a a higher level of awareness and and a higher level calling to understand the the deeper truth of what they're seeing Mm -hmm. so i bring this up just to say this is an inspiration for wool Mm. as you see like in when they are in the cafeteria they see the projection of the outside world and are basically given the choice to explore or not Mm -hmm. figure out what's actually behind that projection or not Mm -hmm. and so in some respects it's sort of like the foundational theory for keeping this populace in place Mm -hmm. that's really interesting um you got me thinking now like why even why even have the like if I'm the the head of the silo if I'm building the silo why even give the people the screen to look out like why even give them that curiosity you know what I mean like if they if they have no context of the outside world why even give them like a snippet of it yeah why show them any other reality yeah because then they're just going to get curious right I suppose initially you probably needed to do that with all of the people that knew about the above ground. Oh, initially. Yeah. Cause yeah, probably. 
Um, but I guess at a certain point, those people die. So it's, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're like 140 years from the beginning of this island. I believe so, yeah. So that is... A few generations. That's like 1880s to today. So It's like six generations or something. Yeah, so it's a f- few generations past. So a lot of things would have been forgotten. And all, all those people that would have remembered mm-hmm. the above would have died. Yeah. So you can imagine like the, the use for that to quell the original people who weren't maybe excited to be underground, but mm-hmm. then like over time, yeah, you could probably phase it out or like cover it up or not tell people, yeah. but I don't know, you know, stories get passed down. That's true. You also wouldn't have the story if you couldn't do that. So maybe, yeah. you know, <laughs> shut the fuck <laughs> up. <laughs> um, bad, bad, bad. No, but it's interesting. I, I think it's more of like a part of the experiment of this book is to put people is to ask the questions of these people and like actually see how they react. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you bring this up because um, I was listening to the Ryan Rosillo podcast interview with Hugh Howie and he mentioned this. Did you read this in an article? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to say, but that was, that would have been a great poll if you just oh, like, thought this up. Like, wow. But no, you don't know your Plato. <laughs> you don't you <laughs> didn't do read not. Republic. <laughs> um, yeah. So that is a really cool, it's an interesting idea, like showing them something that they essentially just have to sort of believe um, and not giving them the context of like where it actually comes from um, is certainly an interesting thing. It's a, it's a great tool to sort of seed uh, or sow seeds of doubt within the characters who are interacting with it. It's a great way to sort of like play the curiosity and the against the of the individual against the sort of the power and oppression of the state or the government or whatever is the the entity itself um do you believe it do you not should but, you believe it does it matter but he, but he, i think he also does take both sides because he gives you the bernard perspective which is like yeah i control true. this because frankly we know what would happen if I yeah. wasn't here. Right, right, right. And so he he does put forth both sides of the coin. That I think it's like social social contract theory. Mm. Um. So you you as the reader, I, I think it's a, probably a little bit tilted against Bernard, mm-hmm. but he at least does put forward the idea that like you know, there are two sides to this coin. There are people in this world who are sort of like, you know, the the coin is still floating in the air. It hasn't mm-hmm. landed on heads. Hasn't landed on tails. I think Lucas is kind of a character who's like that. Who's sort of caught in between the pull of Juliet and the pull of Bernard um, and whose, you know, place in society is, is questioned and his usefulness, you know, is, is required for someone, someone to win. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about, so like by using these theories or theorems or whatever, it, Hugh Howie's kind of doing like a Ted, Ted Chang in a sense where like he, he bases a lot of his stories off of like theor- theoreticals, Mm. and he feels like like um a rival right like mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like a social experiment but that becomes a, a story with people and characters and whatever and he's sort of playing out what would happen in interesting this sort of um scenario what is that th- i forget i'm trying to think. i'm trying i'm remembering arrival and like it's called the sapper wharf or something like that yeah something like that complex right? where you start dreaming in the language that you um are thinking in or speak speaking in um or your brain essentially is rewired uh which happens in arrival where um so it's yeah it's, it's basically a, a theory on language where that sort of develops the arrival story and you're saying this theory of plato's cave allegory whatever it's called 
essentially spawns this idea for or it plays with that it, right? idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he takes like established concepts and just like that's that's the playground. Yeah. And then he puts all these people in there who t- mm-hmm. who have a side. And, you know, there's there's kind of a common trope in other in other mediums where there are there's like a main character and then they have three friends and each of those friends is like one of those friends is the ego. One is the id, one's mm. the super ego. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a common way to frame like the various angels and devils on your shoulder. This person pulls you in an impulsive way. This person pulls you in a reasonable way. Mm. And they use the sort of established brain sciences, I guess, to, to tell stories and to build out characters. Right. 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 So I think that's cool. I like that. I'm, I'm pro sci-fi in this way. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of like grounded in um, concepts of like philo- philosophical concepts mm-hmm. gotcha. and theories. As opposed to like um, space operas where it's just like two two galaxies battling it out for There's probably a time good versus and, evil. There's a time and place for all of them. Yeah, yeah. You know, Star Wars is You're good. You're not anti. You're not anti that. You know, I, uh, I, I was funny. I was thinking the other day, I was like, what a you know, really good take would just be like Star Wars is bad. And like it's always been bad, yeah. Because I, I think you can make the argument that the the second trilogy, the Phantom Menace through um, Return of the Jedi, I think that's what it's called. One through three. Phantom Menace, yeah. Phantom yeah. Menace, Attack of the Clones. I think that's right. Return, Return of, the of the Jedi, maybe. It, there, all those movies are kind of bad. No, four is it Return of the Jedi. I'll look at four up. is a New Hope. So four is the original. Oh, is it? Is the original. And I think that is a good movie. And I think arguably maybe not a good movie and then uh, empire strikes back is the is the movie that everyone loves um but then the sixth movie people don't like as much and then all the three new ones people hate the eighth that was the ryan johnson one that it spawned like so much putrid mm-hmm. social media discourse <laughs> the ninth one kind of like redid eight so it was almost yeah, like an yeah. overcorrection so toss those two out and then seven was just a retelling of a new hope people so you love can make seven. the argument that of the nine movies one and a half are good. Oh wow! So wow! I was this like, is a hot take. I, that's what I was having. I was taking a shower. <laughs> I was just like, "What is? Why Dang. is this like coming to me now?" Wow. You know, Star Wars. There are books. We could do this on the pod. We yeah, could just do this. But they're, I think they're novelizations of the movie. No, so they like, have like a whole. There's a. But then there, yeah, there's lore that's. But that's not in movies. That would be in like TV shows. That's true, I guess. Yeah. So we could do like Andor or like Kenobi or clone wars or something like that so episode one the phantom menace episode two attack of the, attack of the clones episode three revenge of the sith revenge of the sith yeah return of the jedi is it's like i think it's six or some five or six um i know two is attack of the clones because i think there's a, a most deaf lyric that is we've been through episodes two like attack of the clones so wow look at you that's for fucking that's bars. for all of our listeners out there <laughs> dropping fucking bars <laughs> Um, cool. I really like that take. Um, and I kind of agree with it, although I haven't really thought that in depth about um, Star Wars itself. I do appreciate philosophical science fiction. We've done, we've done another one as well on this podcast called Solaris. If you're interested in seeing, mm-hmm. um, seeing or seeing that film or reading that book, um, that one's like very philosophical. Um, we we watched Stalker recently, which actually is based on a book called yeah. the Roadside Picnic, which is another one. Um, but yeah, I think philosophical science fiction is kind of where, um, uh, the best kind of rise to the top. Right. And this is kind of one of them. It, it's kind of got everything. It's got the philosophical elements. It's got the action elements. It's got the mystery elements. It's got the oppression elements to it. It's kind of got everything. 
and it's got great writing it's got great pacing um yeah and anyway we were supposed to be talking about the adaptation not the not the book but we could start now (laughs) let's do it (laughs) eric how would you describe the adaptation literal loose or reimagined i think this is probably like a, a very square loose right um maybe maybe the cup runneth over into a little bit of reimagined but mm. I would I would say we're probably loose here. There, loosey goosey. Loosey goosey. There's a lot that is similar. They um, do make some adjustments. Um, they they do add some characters. They do like pull some stuff from some people, give it to other people. I think we'll I'll probably make an argument that like the tone is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then part of it is just like you know when we give a grade, there's there's kind of an incomplete here because we don't even get to the end of the omnibus so mm-hmm. um Juliet's story as we've read it hasn't ended right in season one of of silo so uh excited for season two because we'd like to see the ending yeah to know for sure like how far they deviate so because already they've deviated a little bit mm-hmm. it seems probably they're going to deviate a lot more yeah it would be interesting i mean they could go so many different routes like they don't have to go eventually she's got to come back right yeah but they so in the book, uh, he she goes to Silo 17, which is right next to their silo. Her silo, essentially, is Silo 18. And that silo is essentially, they had a, a rebellion. And basically, everybody died. Yeah. Except for one person. Who's You're spoiling living. season two now. Oh, shit. You're right. But fuck it. Spoilers. Anyways. Uh, and then, eventually, she plans her way back and eventually makes it back to Silo 18. 18. But yeah. she's got to come back. So I think the yeah. The so she'll overall, she'll come back. It just depends in what way. Yeah, she will come back. So yeah, okay. I how did you feel about that section? I didn't personally love it. Yeah, it felt like a little too. It was like a little rushed for me for some. Yeah, because it, it was like it took so it was so difficult for her to get to seventeen, and then to get back, she just walked right back in. Yeah, and it, there was a little there was a little tension, and then she meets so she meets a person in the like airlock when she returns to 18 Mm -hmm. and she thinks it's lucas and so like protects that person from like the argon fires Mm -hmm. i think i remember that right or there's fire so yeah to sort of kill the toxins yeah okay um and she thinks it's lucas and so cloaks him in a fire like retardant blanket Mm -hmm. sheet of metal whatever it is uh it's not it's bernard but the point my point is like she's the hero but someone else has defeated the big bad mm-hmm. in that scenario so i think you probably imagine in season two like she'll be there. she's gonna be the one that swings the sword or that's whatever. a great point i hadn't thought of it that way but yeah it's a bit of a not lackluster but it's like the hero doesn't get to stand on the throne essentially to have their moment yeah there's no like heroic moment yeah she just comes back and peter billings peter billings in the book is the one that like was one of the characters who was kind of like we don't know if he's good heads or tails good or bad and it turns out he is good and so his actions like solve the problems in silo 18 but juliet has been gone and now returns and it's been written for her yeah which was you know as as fine but i you definitely imagine like on tv or in a movie yeah. like tom cruise isn't gonna come back and peter you know that, that's not gonna happen when tom cruise is away who's who's like the secondary or like uh who's the funny guy from Shaun of the dead 
the British guy who's in the Motion Impossible movies. Yeah, Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. So imagine him like solving all the problems. Yeah, and him coming back like, oh wait, yeah. dude, that'd be actually really funny though. That'd be a great comedic moment for Mission Impossible. Have you seen any of them? I haven't seen any of them. Um, so maybe that does happen. I'd yeah. prefer not to say. Oh, Will's a big <laughs> Mission Impossible head. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I think I've maybe seen one of them. So, I don't know. Just I. I'm not into franchises. Will's not a Tom Cruise fan either. I am a Tom Cruise fan. Not anymore. I used to be a big one. You're just still a Will Smith guy? Yeah. I have. I actually put Emancipation in my list to watch. So. The movie, the movie that got slapped, essentially. Yeah. In theaters. Yeah. Well, you know, I know it ain't the consequences of my actions. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so let's talk about the tone do it so the show um these are differences now so the show has a mystery tone to it surveillance state um more like 1984 and uh, the book is more soft science fiction more about the worker rebellion and social theories like eric mentioned than mystery it kind of starts out um as a mystery but it's more pinning the uh, the uh, like bernard against uh jules yeah essentially trying to remove her from power and put in the person that he wants so it's a little bit political uh as well but yeah it's very much a surveillance state very much mystery we're trying to figure out who killed george essentially Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily the the premise of the book Uh, but just talk to me a little bit about that well i think it, it they brought a bunch of things to the surface which was like you have this book and halfway through your main character leaves so are you going to do that in the show or not? If you don't, now you need to fill 10 hours worth of content with that as your sort of like narrative endpoint. Mm-hmm. How do we get her? What happens to get her out of the silo? And so to fill the time, you have to kind of go back and get her to be the position of the sheriff, then understand the dynamics between her and Bernard as these sort of like opposites. Um, and I think they they wisely realized that to successfully tell a story of this length for this season, they can't give it away that early. That early. Also, not to interrupt you, but how did she end up going, getting taken out to clean again? Wasn't she found guilty of something or like something was pinned on her? I think the same way. I think she they like faked that she said she wanted to go outside. Was that what it was? I think they just tried to remove her from the chessboard, essentially. Yeah, I can't remember. Okay. can't remember that part. Um, but so, for me, like, thinking about it is, like, if if we can't... If, if we're keeping her in here till 10, need to get the time. We can't give away, like, who's good, who's bad, necessarily, right away. Because it would be too obvious. It would just be too obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if we're withholding stuff we have to withhold it from bernard because we have to put the red herring marker on somebody i think in a mystery you kind of always have to have someone in focus Mm -hmm. like this has to be the goal or that person is the bad person i have to avoid them and so we'll talk about this character in a second but there there is somebody that is sort of made to be the bad guy Mm -hmm. and juliet operates against that person while using bernard as is sort of an ally while not realizing like all the machinations behind the scenes mm-hmm. that are making what she's doing impossible. So 
I think in that sense, Juliet is questing for something. And on a quest, there is like loose ends, spur roads, places that the narrative goes that don't result in anything, right? A spur and, and um, you maybe you meet a new character or do a new thing or you have an entire episode based on her walking into a generator to try to mm-hmm. turn it on. Mm-hmm. Um, she need to have a little bit of misdirection. I think that's right. I don't know if I answered your question properly, but it's like, but like why do the mystery? I think, I think it just lasts longer. Mm-hmm. I think a mystery just lasts longer and it's, it's a more effective inroad into the various parts of the silo mm-hmm. because ultimately what she's doing is like asking people questions and that's what a mystery yeah the mystery is tr- getting the answer to a question and if we just need her to ask a bunch of people questions one of the way to to ratchet up the tension is to have someone chasing her mm-hmm. while she's looking for the answer yeah. or have two people looking for the same thing in this case is the hard drive that has the schematics for silo 18. Yeah. So in some senses, she's both chasing after the MacGuffin and another sense, she's chasing after like the memory of her ex lover, George. Mm -hmm. I I feel like I've broken apart the tone question into like (laughs) all of the differences kind of, and we can go deeper into all of them, but does that, I don't know. Well, so for you, someone who really enjoyed the book, yeah, did you like that the show took a? Do you agree that it took like a, a like a yeah a tonal turn? And did you enjoy that? I enjoyed both of them. So I I really liked. I just really liked the pitting of the like the state essentially Bernard versus Jules, and having that sort of tension always be there, and like having that eventually come to a head and sort of having somebody who's immediately, immediately dislikable um, just for me allows me to just like be more engaged with the story. Cause like immediately I just hate this person and I want them to lose. Um, so emotionally that's an investment right there. But like the mystery part was really interesting because it sort of gives you this, um, this thing looming in the background that obviously motivates Juliet, but, you as a you as a watcher know like it's not there are other questions that need to be answered as well like clearly you're invested in that but there are these other little mysteries and secrets going on around the silo that like you're also invested in um so for me i really enjoyed both i thought they both did a really good job in that respect of like going in their own separate directions um tone wise but yeah had no had no qualms with it I think you know, season two is probably going to be more of like a survivalist season. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that was just half of this book because that's how we it was packaged. Yeah. So I think if you, if we were to just to think about the first three chapters, there's probably, there's probably the, the mystery exists there. And it was just like a little bit overshadowed with the, the back half. Yeah. In my brain, at least to say mm-hmm. like, okay, well it wasn't all mystery. Whereas this, this season was all mystery. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'm just, overreacting no i think you're dissecting and analyzing Thank this you. is what we're supposed to do yeah this is why we're here yeah and i don't think they go quite so deep into like the theory in the tv show um 
I think the mystery is yeah. sort of replaces that and it's a bit simpler, mm-hmm. right? For the for the audience. It's like I have a th- place to get, I have a thing to get, I have a person who means a lot to me that I'm trying to understand why. And that's that's what you get. Yeah. I There's think a lot that, of different yeah. directions it takes. It branches off in a lot of different ways, but Yeah, I think the book does a better job of like playing in the allegory, the Plato's allegory, cave allegory. Um where you get more of the insight into like why Bernard is the way he is, why the silo is set up in the way it is. And you get a little bit of that in the show, but it's not like, for me, it wasn't as satisfying. Um, I remember, I'm remembering, remembering the scene where um, Juliet is about to go clean. Her and Bernard are talking and she mentions the door mm-hmm. that George found and his, you can see his eyes, like brain kind of moving like, wait, what door is she fucking talking about? Yeah. That I, was really interesting. I wonder if he even knows. No way. Yeah. The way, the way he reacted to it, I think that's gotta be like, that's great acting, by the way. By, New information. Tim Robbins, by, uh, The anti-lockdown. <laughs> Tim Robbins. But no, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but like you mentioned, with the mystery as opposed to um, the book, essentially the, the different tones, it kind of plays into the pacing, right? Yeah. So the pacing is, is pretty fast in the book. Yeah. At least for the first three books, where at the end of the third book, maybe page 200-something, she's out to clean. And that doesn't happen for 10 hours, essentially, um, of screen time. So just talk to me a little bit about that and like what, where you thought those differences were. Yeah, I think it goes back to the idea that like we look at the omnibus and we say the most important moment is Juliet leaving. Mm-hmm. Let's retrofit it. And I think part of it is knowing like her her character arc, which is to basically be plucked from obscurity in mechanical which is one of the like blue collar levels Mm -hmm. and become sheriff which is you know sort of like donald trump becoming president i suppose like someone who you would never think would do that job and does that job but she seems a little bit more with it Um, i wouldn't think of donald trump as blue collar but yeah go ahead oh yeah (laughs) uh yeah i don't know why that came to my head i was you know i was thinking like did Tim Robbins really like have to go in the mind of like a pro lockdown politician? Yes, I to- knew this was going to fuck with you. I, this is exactly why I brought this up. <laughs> Just to like <laughs> act in a fucking TV show. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, so part of it is like, as the main character, we need to create the on-ramp for you to be seen as, as competent. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had this conversation in my writer's group of like one, one of the sci-fi guys that I write with is, is like, I really like competent character. I really prefer competent characters. Like I really don't like reading about incompetent people. Okay. And Juliet is highly competent and yeah. in the show, she's highly competent, but there's a difference between being like a smart engineer and being a, a sheriff. And so, um, the, the show goes to great lengths to show the show show to show <laughs> her bona fides mm-hmm. to do this job. And to just basically set up like all the curiosity and talent that she would have to find this like thing. Mm-hmm. Like they, if you think about it, like the silo goes to great lengths to hide everything from everyone. Mm-hmm. So it really takes a special kind of detective, a special kind of like uh person brain person mm-hmm. to, to figure it out. And so it's a little bit of an uphill climb, excuse the pun to put that together so we get a whole whole episode of juliet and holston um essentially like doing the detective work after george's death which is hinted at in the book in like a couple of paragraphs but Mm -hmm. gets blown out into a 
a whole a whole chapter here, which I think is important because Holston's at uh, upon Holston's death, he basically says Juliet should be sheriff. And without that episode, you sort of like you might not see it, mm-hmm. but showing it gives you the sense of like okay, she's she could swing it. Um, and then there's a whole like half episode where she fixes the generator and it sort of shows her bravery under fire. Um, it shows her fear, which is water, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting. It was like, you know, if you lived in a silo, you would not see water yeah. like anywhere. So right. big water vats or whatever, standing water would be, scary. Would be a little scary. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think you have to slow it down a little bit focus on character focus on relationships focus on building up the talent Mm -hmm. and by doing so you're sort of expanding like paragraphs into episodes yeah but you have to slow it down because you only have so much you there's only so much you can do before she goes outside yeah it's kind of funny go ahead sorry sorry, i was gonna say there's also like a lot of flashbacks in this story so um, that's true they really are are like digging, yeah, to get enough for Juliet to go outside. But and in the same vein, they're also like seeding out mm-hmm. stuff. I think for the future, yeah. I think as someone who's read the book, you can sort of see like, okay, this is what they're doing with that character. This character, you sort of like, all right, well, he's not important now, but I did listen to that conversation. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, you can sort of see that. I was just gonna say, I think it's interesting how a lot of times in these episodes we'll think about, you know. Uh, books that should have been TV shows or vice versa, right? Um, and I just feel like this this is a great example of like, if they had made a movie of this, we f- almost 100% would have said this should have been a TV show. Yeah. And they did make it a TV show. It's funny because they only used about 200 and however many pages to do it. Like essentially the reason to do most books in a TV shows is because there's so much material. And here it's like five, 600 pages where it's like, okay, that gets you like 10 episodes at least right um and it's funny that they kind of drew back a bit it's funny because they probably read this book and they thought we have to make the finale reveal the the multiple silos yeah right and in order to do that we can't just have the story of bernard versus jules we have to sort of like play into how did george die what about these relic situations how are these like dived into and stuff like that so you're, you're right they have to sort of dig for more which is interesting because in a book you already have a lot of the material for you but it's more like surface level material and they have to sort of like create from essentially within yeah then there are certain things where i think they looked at it and decided well that i don't know that that's exactly right so you're talking about like juliet versus bernard is the main like protagonist antagonist relationship well juliet is sheriff so Bernard can't influence anybody in the sheriff's office mm-hmm. because she's there and she's running it and all that. Mm-hmm. So who can Bernard, who's Bernard's force? Mm-hmm. Well, there was like it goons in the book. Yeah. But you know, those people might be like a little more technical or nerdy or whatever. So they invent a new force. Judicial. Which, judicial. Mm-hmm. Um, to basically be like security, but like their main goal is not to investigate juliet or dissidents it ha- there has to be a, a thing right well not sorry dissidents yes dissidents because they're looking for you mentioned relics right right so they're because bernard can't oversee sheriffs because that's where juliet is he needs somebody to do his bidding 
it maybe doesn't make sense you got to create a thing mm-hmm. now you're creating a thing but their main goal is not juliet it has to be something else yeah so you i think you're just like building out the world mm-hmm. or taking pieces of the book and saying like well there's relics in the book what if that's just their goal is to stop the illegal trade and um possession of relics yeah so you have that and then now you have this whole force you can build on well there's got to be a leader of it well that person needs to do this and that mm-hmm. and so i don't know you're sort of just like pulling right pulling strings pulling cutting open the balloon letting the air flow out of that balloon into another balloon yeah, yeah see what works building some up building yeah. some down it's world building baby yeah let's, I, i'm taking us in a million different directions <laughs> i apologize let's uh move in the direction of bernard so we kind of already mentioned this um in the book he is just immediately this dislikable character who is sort of power hungry and um the head of it and doesn't care for how other things are um are done or how you know what are the rules for operation he is basically um essentially the self-anointed king of the silo um so he essentially tries to once holson goes out to clean he tries to put somebody from the it department uh, peter billings um or paul billings whoever it is um into that position and obviously jules has been um anointed the sheriff um and uh, you know tension uh occurs uh but in the show he is um much more likable initially um much more of like a uh maybe father figure is too strong a word but like sort of this constant that's around partner almost yeah partner and he is sort of as is revealed at the end he's sort of actually playing juliet against herself because he he their their alliance basically comes from a fear of judicial uh fear of their power um and a fear of their influence essentially on the silo so they sort of band together against them when really bernard has been using juliet to sort of like have her fuck up basically so that so that he can essentially um put her away because once it's realized that judicial actually doesn't have as much power as as she thinks as well as bernard says um yeah so it's a it's an interesting differentiation between the characters um i personally like the book villain the book bernard better but i can see why i can see the case being that this is actually a better more more diabolical character he's a bit sorry he's a bit sharper edged in the book i would say Mm -hmm. like he's he's like a a talker he's very like cocky he's very confident Mm -hmm. he's like i know i i know everything yeah and here it's the sort of like smoothness of the tim robbins performance of kind of like i'm a little goofy i'm a little weird i'm kind of on your team i look like a teddy bear like i'm a little thick in the thigh you know thick (laughs) around the gut Mm -hmm. uh i'm not too threatening very tim robbins is a very like unthreatening person like he's always been sort of like skinny fat he's very Mm -hmm. like long-limbed yeah like this is motherfucker yeah kind of he looks like a dad you'd go on vacation with like a like a dad like a father-in-law yeah he would be wearing his hawaiian shirt open yeah like oh you you drink beer you know like (laughs) a six-pack like like another actor might yeah um i think his his whole thing i think has to stick back to the idea that if we're keeping something a mystery, it's got to be him. Because if we know he's bad the whole time, then Juliet is just like too smart. 
Um, and if we're lengthening, I think if, if we're trying to lengthen things, Juliet can't know yeah. immediately. Yeah. Um, and frankly, the silo was only so big. I think she wouldn't get very far if she was, if she knew the big reveal or she would, or it would just like end too fast. Like if, if I know Bernard is the bad guy, then I can tell everyone that Bernard's the bad guy. Yeah. And that's like the nuclear option that sort of gets her kicked out of the silo. Mm-hmm. So if you can do, you can do this in six episodes and it, she would know. Fa- I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I do. I do think the book version is actually better here. I, I felt Tim Robbins was kind of like very low energy mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I don't, the puppet master thing, like, I don't know. It almost like didn't really work for me. It was a bit of a stretch. I, th- I felt like, yeah. Um, it didn't feel like he, like, you know, obviously we could rewatch and see, but maybe there were, there were signs before, but it was a bit of a reveal, but um, I don't know. The whole judicial thing. Judicial is just the way to pin it, right? Like, yeah, this, we created judicial so that you can blame judicial for everything. Yeah. And not me. And like, he basically just slotted in the in the judicial shoes. Like, he separated he separated himself as an IT guy, a mayor, from judicial. And judicial has like unwielding power, and I forget the name of J- Judge Meadows. Yeah. Um, she seems to be very powerful, and she seems to be using Sims as like her pawn, essentially to like do whatever her bidding. But then it turns out that she is not powerful at all, and she gets a cold essentially and mm-hmm. she's essentially just drinking and being depressed drinking cold medicine well we'll see and i don't know that that felt a bit lackluster to me i felt like i don't know it's a bit i, I don't want to say like a cop out to sort of like just have her not be a player anymore in this sort of weird way i would almost prefer to have her be like have her the tension between her and um bernard be realized yeah it's so if we if we like think about the drop down flow chart of who is in charge at in the silo the mayor is at top and then there's kind of like three big people right it's the judge it's the sheriff and it's the head of it mm-hmm, yep For, and you know i know the the book needs to have this but like the, it's funny that the interim mayor would just be the head of it right it wouldn't uh, whatever but so he he gains a lot of power but you would think that like it sheriff and judge would all kind of be like director level level people and all have to sort of share in things Mm -hmm. but they seem to operate pretty independently and are all kind of like afraid of yeah bernard but also like afraid of each other Mm -hmm. in an interesting way yeah i just i don't know i just thought the there wasn't really a reason for her to be like judge meadows to be or at least it wasn't expressed in the show, or maybe I missed it. Where like why she was so in the pocket of Bernard? Yeah, like what what's the reason? Yeah, like why? Yeah. Show, like, do you remember? Right. No, I don't. Yeah. I was gonna. I was actually gonna bring up too that like I I wonder if this if the show would have been more effective if there was like Bernard perspective a couple of times because most of the show he sort of just like pops up. Yeah, and I probably he pops up because they're he's surveilling her and he knows exactly yeah. where she's gonna be. But mm-hmm. he just like kind of comes, hi, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you're gonna not let the sheriff through here, whatever. He yeah. just sort of like appears and he's always with Juliet or he's always yeah. with somebody. It's never him alone, like doing his 
work. his work. <laughs> yeah, his IT work. And so the it's a reveal in episode eight because there's never the scene of him in like episode four, like going into the janitor's closet and like seeing all the screens. Right. You know what I mean? It's like I think there's a there's definitely a version of this where the audience knows that Bernard's bad mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. And one of the mysteries is Juliet figuring that out. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is kind of what happens in the book, honestly. Like we know Bernard is we bad from the beginning. Yeah. Juliet doesn't really know that. Although, like, maybe she kind of does because of her it, relationship with Lucas too. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that would be more effective to like at least key us in on some of the behind the scenes of Bernard and how he got to be so powerful. Yeah. I just felt like you have this big buildup of, uh, excuse me, I can't speak judicial, right? This huge, they're like, they are the, from the, you know, audience's perspective, they are the all encompassing power in the silo. And they're essentially gaining power now that the mayor has died. Um, and it just falls to the wayside because judge Meadows likes having her relics around and not being, yeah, her essentially just snitched on like what like I, I don't know it just it, that fell flat for me um i like the reveal i under i actually like the reveal of having him be the bad guy but like it needs to do a better job of like tying those those loose ends together like why how is he the bad guy and now all, all of a sudden sims is listening to bernard now like what the fuck like where was that when yeah. sims was yelling at him like in episode six or whatever it was i don't know it just felt a little bit Lucy goosey yeah yeah sim's turn was strange to me yeah so Although now, i'm sure he now was he's always a shadow in the bag. like yeah. he was judge meadows's shadow like 10 minutes ago like what are we talking about that was i found that actually kind of funny when so he was like you fucked up twice yeah, yeah. i'm really i'm really thinking about if you should be my shadow but you know what i also fuck up yeah so maybe it's fine it's <laughs> <laughs> like what, how, what kind of rationale is what this? are we talking about yeah 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 so fucking tim robbins here we go <laughs> Tim Robbins. I like Tim Robbins. (laughs) Anyways, um, so let's move on from judicial. Talk about George Wilkins here. So, as we've mentioned, um, he is murdered. Well, he it dies in both stories. (laughs) Wow, (laughs) he dies in both stories. Um, but the centerpiece of this TV show is the George, or that Jules thinks that George was murdered. Yeah, she's basically convinced. Um, because there's a lot of suspicion around what happened. Did he jump um, or was he pushed? Yeah, exactly. That's a question as old as time. And he, in you know, as as time goes on, he he appears to be more and more of a threat to the nature of the silo. So she more and more believes that he was a, he was a, um, he was murdered, and he is just not that important in the book. Um, he's basically, I would say, not important at all. Um, he's essentially the reason why, uh, Jules gets. Um, the position she does as sheriff because Holston, you know, was investigating his, you know, quote unquote accident, suicide, murder, whatever it was. And she was very helpful in that regard. So that happens in both stories, um, but essentially prompts her to becoming sheriff. There are other things in the show where prompts her to be sheriff, where her and Holston have more of a f- working relationship around the relics and around the mysteries of the silo. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he gets a George Wilkins gets a major glow up um, in the TV show, and there's a, the love story. Yeah, I I think the creator took a look at this book and was like, her name is Juliet because she has like unsanctioned love with this guy. Mm. Let's like, let's like let's that. play this right because like, yeah. I I think the book does try to play that, and there's a lot of like the epigraphs before chapters in books four and five in the omnibus 
that are led by like quotes from Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. So it's like, okay, let's really lean in on this. Let's, let's make this love. Let's make relationships writ large because Halston and I forget her name. Uh, Rashida Jones's character is named. Oh yeah. I forgot. Allison. Maybe. Yeah. Um, have like, you know, a fight over the birth control being like fake, uh, like fakely removed from her arm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot about like being able to reproduce and not being able to, and like who is actually allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. And when is it just like a, a controlling mechanism? Um, so, you know, in that vein, if you, if you think about it like that, like pull all this stuff to the center because it's all kind of interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, her Juliet's dad's a doctor and right. know, they make him t- tie him into that. So if we're, we're bringing all that out and it, I, I don't know, it just makes, it, it gives it like a depth, I think, yeah. um, to fill some of the, some of the time there, there is, he is tied to Allison because Allison comes to him for help reading the, um, schematics mm-hmm. of, of the silo. Yeah. And it pulls him into it. And then he, he kind of goes up at the event, you know, I mean, in, in the book, like the first perspective, almost the entire first book, I guess, is not Juliet. It's Halston and, and Allison. That's right. So, you know, you read the book. I read the back cover and I was like, this is Juliet's story. And I was like, I still haven't met Juliet. <laughs> so yeah. I'm looking forward to that. But uh, there's a, enough backstory in this world because God knows there's like been previous rebellions. Right. There's a lot of stuff about the founders and, and why the silo even exists to like put on the air and, and build up the world and it's like ethos um before we get to Juliet but i i think it's i think it's important to when that's your main character to just have everything tie into her mm-hmm. she plugs in everywhere yeah she plugs into bernard cuz she's sheriff she plugs into george because they loved each other in an illegalish way mm-hmm. um that plugs into halston that plugs into allison it just it's i think it, it's it's nice when it plugs in and you keep it thematically on point which yeah. is like relic trade mysteries of the past potential murder who did the murder also like the relationship life bringing aspect of this whole yeah. thing that's like you don't want certain people to reproduce what's your goal there mm-hmm. so there's a his death brings forward a lot of questions and it's this sort of like giant bomb that goes off that throws shrapnel everywhere right and they have to clean it up and they have to clean it up yeah that make any sense i have no idea i stopped listening halfway through okay. so but i do want to say quickly though yeah I which, I mentioned, which is that uh he in the book gets in trouble george for plotting to dig laterally through the silo to yes f- to find presumably another silo mm-hmm. and in the show he just has access to the hard drive, which shows the schematics showing an existing tunnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that tunnel already exists. Yeah. So his crime is having the MacGuffin. Yes. Yeah. And not plotting to do something. Yeah. Well, I mean, he planned to do something with it, but not plotting to like dig somewhere else. Did you, um, you read the book before watching, right? Yes. Okay. I was going to ask like, if you had watched before, like if that schematic had maybe, been like a tipping or like been a little clue for you to think oh my god there might be more silence because it, it kind of looked like that because he was kind of going off 
in a different direction. I think so. I think I think they probably are trying to drip that out because there's another moment in like seven or eight where um, Bernard has a keychain that's like a yeah. an eighteen. Yep. It kind of looks like a dice, and it glows yeah. when probably someone wants to talk to him. Yeah, so yeah. it goes into like a, a side room. Yeah, which it's like that is probably not very smart in the silo because that could just raise questions like why is that why is there why an eighteen numbered? That? Yeah. <laughs> what does that eighteen mean? Yeah, yeah, and then the um the serial number on the hard drive was just eighteen. That was a great scene. He was like, <laughs> the, the, the tech was like, serial numbers have you know nine nine digits. He's like. <laughs> He's like, this one has a one and an eight. Yeah. Commonly known as 18. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Robbins brought some like kind of f- f- weird, funny energy in certain yeah. moments. There's a, a couple of scenes where at the, um, when they buried, who did they bury? When they all ate apples and threw the apples on the oh, grave. Oh, uh, was it Mayor Johns maybe? Yeah. He said like such a strange, he had such a strange like eulogy for, oh, yeah, he for did. them. Yeah. And then he brings. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, so Colson. he, sh- sh- he talked for Johns. And then she talked for Holston. no for Marnes. Oh, was that right? Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. Holston died in the on the hill. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but his his eulogy was like very very strange. I can't even remember what he said. It was something like so I don't dumb. remember. <laughs> it was something very. I, I remember watching it like that is really weird. <laughs> is Tim Robbins like one of your favorite actors? Not anymore after um, about well, the stuff. <laughs> he hasn't done a lot of stuff recently. But he's like, he's good and he has like a he makes a lot more movies than you think because yeah. you think of like oh there's there's a kind of like a late 80s to Shawshank run in 94 mm-hmm. where he's one of my a movie I like the player which yep. we're talking about in a few weeks mm-hmm. um, not here not on this podcast um, he's in Bull Durham he's in a few things he's in yeah. Bob Roberts and then, but in in between those like four movies he's made like 15 other movies in that time and they're like I've never heard any of these yeah, yeah exactly but then in recent times he hasn't done anything yeah. He's in uh, Anchorman, Legend of Ron Burgundy. But oh, that's right, yeah. Now he's back. He's inside. Now he's back. So check him out. Another character we want to talk about, um, Paul slash Peter Billings. Um, book goes by Peter. Show goes by Paul. Um, he's kind of the uh, morally righteous character um, in the book who defeats Bernard at the end. And then in the show, he's kind of similar. He's got... Um, the sort of moral compass as well as the technical or like technical maybe the wrong word but uh technical background of what the order is or what the pact is yeah and and essentially can recite any line from it um also has a syndrome which i'm not sure if that's like luke eric's disease um what it sort of alludes to but so he loses um like tremors in his hands yeah he can't he can't grip things yeah and um so talk to me a little bit about that that difference. Yeah. So in the book, he's kind of like sort of like the shadow puppet for Bernard. Bernard is – so when, when Halston dies, Bernard wants Peter Billings to be the sheriff. Yeah. And Halston, in his last wishes, elevated Juliet to be sheriff. And the mayor historically goes with the wishes of the previous sheriff to anoint the new sheriff. And so that's like one of the first conflicts that arises – uh bernard doesn't get his way as mm-hmm. retaliation maybe poisons a couple <laughs> water packs uh the mayor and uh marns the the deputy sheriff both die mm-hmm. um but but um billings is sort of played as like a puppet to it because he's an it and he comes here to, and he's sort of like 
no nonsense. Like I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to do what Bernard says. He tells me to do this. I'm going to do it. Um, and it's, he seems like an antagonist close in close quarters to, um, Juliet. Yeah. But he's really just naive essentially. Or he's just like following orders. He's just following orders. But in the book, he is I mean, in the book. A, he's flying orders. Well, yeah, but, um, he is a product of the IT in the book, but he's a product of judicial in the show. Yeah. Which is a maybe minor difference. I think they just, rem- I think they just moved a bunch of IT to judicial. Yeah. I think like some of the enforcers became the like raiders yeah. of judicial. It's funny how they built that out. Like it's, it's a funny, like I wonder why they had to build this whole separate thing. Why couldn't they just have IT? Is it all for the misdirection of like, to like, like, like not have you assume that IT is the evil? Yeah. Why does IT need like a force, you know? That's that's a good point. Like, why do they need machine guns? Like in the book, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally, yeah. So I, I think misdirection, and they because he's from there, and they're the primary antagonist to start with. Then you can sort of question his motives. Like, oh well, he's from the bad team. Yeah, that's true. So what are you doing here? Yeah, um, he's the one who makes like the heroic decision in the book to take Bernard down. Yeah, that hasn't happened yet in the show. If it will happen, we don't know. Mm-hmm. I, the syndrome is interesting to me. I don't really know what's going on there. I assume that's going to be a plot point in the future. Is it just like being underground causes tremors? Is it just like he has a yeah. traditional disease that we might recognize up here? I don't know. Yeah, I was kind of thinking like, oh, this is really interesting. This might be like a silo thing. Like you just mentioned, like, is there something, you know, about the silo that maybe causes this in some people? Right. Is it like, I don't know gravity or like whatever who who hell knows um but yeah they haven't really gotten into it so i think one of the things too is that a lot of these main characters have weaknesses so his weakness is that but also like he's actually not allowed to be deputy sheriff with the syndrome Mm, and um he was able to hide it for a lot of his career juliet saw it sims saw it and now he's granted him an exception but you can imagine like I can take that exception away and you can lose yeah. your job and you have a wife and a kid now. Yeah. So there is in the words of Chris Evans in the gray man, like there's, there's something to squeeze, you know what I mean? <laughs> to, to cause pain. Um, Sims is another character who we haven't really talked on a lot, talked about a lot, Yeah. but maybe worth mentioning. He's mm-hmm. the head of security for judicial. He is somebody who has a wife and a kid. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons we joked about him not being the shadow to Bernard is that, when things were in jeopardy, he like sent security to get his wife home safely. Mm. And it's an action that showed perhaps that he's not his number one, his number one goal is not to protect the silo. It's to protect his own family. Right. And so, you know, if you think about like weaknesses, like having a family, having someone to that, you know, someone could go after Mm -hmm. and you care about is, is a, is a weakness. Yeah. And then Juliet has, you know, her, her old past with her father who's still alive and, um, right. That sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's funny. We haven't really mentioned Sims too much, but he's another character in the book is a very minor character in the, in the show. He's a major character and he's, uh, probably the antagonist throughout, yeah. um, throughout the, throughout the story. But essentially he's a tie to judicial at the end. It's revealed. He's also essentially a pawn of it, uh, or at least, um, Nardog. Bernard, yeah, Nardog. Um, but yeah, he's he's an interesting character. It's funny, I haven't really... S- I knew Common acted. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've seen him in anything. Uh, but I think he kind of fit well. I don't know if his... 
like outbursts and stuff were really for me but i think he he fits that character well i think yeah a couple of the outbursts i thought were like a little silly mm-hmm. and then there was the good one i one i liked with him i think in billings where he has the chair and he's like shaking the chair really angrily i don't remember that uh, one. i couldn't even point you in the right direction yeah but i but i remember thinking like oh I he's got it. That, like that's that's, a, it. that's it right there. <laughs> and at other times it was kind of like goofy. He's got yeah. he's got an interesting screen presence. He's got a weird like face. Yeah, he does. I don't know how he's to got just, a I don't know. look. Yeah, he's got that big beard. He's got the shaved head and like very like interesting features. Kind of like curvy. Yeah. But like kind of badass. Like I don't know. But I think of common as someone having a lot of charisma, and he often plays people who are like hard edge yeah and maybe it's just like being an actor is difficult and it's hard to play three dimensions yeah i mean god knows i can't do it but so he's got maybe a typecast yeah about him i don't know it just it feels like that's a guy who should be like magnetic yeah and because yeah i mean that's throughout his whole like music career he's kind of been that guy always like talking to women in a smooth way yeah rapping you know doing his thing that's right common sense common baby common sense (laughs) and oh yeah lucas kyle okay so this is our last major difference um so lucas kyle in the book uh and the show basically guy from it who comes up to the up top to look at the stars Mm -hmm. um trying to figure out what the hell they are these lights in the skies he describes them and he starts to form a relationship friendship with um uh, Jules, Juliet, um, as she's leaving from work, they kind of run into each other. They talk about stuff, uh, and they sort of, sort of, at least more so in the, um, in the book, form a relationship. Um, and then in the show, less so, but kind of a little bit, have an awkward kiss. And the guy's really awkward. Like the, yeah. the character is really awkward in the show. Well cast, I think. Yeah, well cast, and um, yeah, so he. Yeah, so get in. Let's get into it. Tell me, tell me what your thoughts are. Um. So I think he is he is a product of the judicial. He's a product. He, yeah, that's right. He's a product of like the judicial becoming a thing in the mm-hmm. show. The judicial becomes a thing. You have to you elevate the head of judicial to basically run behind Bernard, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden Lucas, whose role in the book is to become Bernard's shadow. Mm-hmm. after a certain point in kind of an interesting way kind of gets like plucked from obscurity to to do that mm-hmm. much like jules gets plucked to become sheriff um he doesn't have that yeah so he's just a sort of like rabble rouser in yeah. a way mm-hmm. he's just sort of tertially around jules and because jules is a nuclear figure anyone she sort of goes near becomes a threat becomes a person that's you know possibly jailable or what like cleanable or whatever um so in some senses like he has less to do in other senses i think he's just getting started i don't don't know the path for his character because it seems to be closed off um with sims taking the role of bernard shadow but it's it's almost one of those things where it's like there are now too many characters for lucas to become the character he was there's no reason for him to be important and so, therefore, he's going to be important in a different way. Yeah, I feel or like... Or important in the way he was, so he's important in a different way. Yeah, I feel like in the second season, he'll, he'll have to sort of... So, at the end of the first season, 
he kind of gets the shit end of the stick. So Jules kind of uses him to uh, find out what's on the hard drive um, or to hide it, right? Uh, she asks him how she can access it. And he's like, plug it into a computer. And then she goes to find like a computer nerd. A comments, or a comment. The like ginger guy. Well, yeah. Initially, he she she goes to. Yes. Uh, uh, I keep seeing common now. What's his? What's Sims. His Sims's name. Yep. Sims's character. His apartment and uses his computer, but then eventually leaves to go to somebody else from IT. So he kind of gets a shit end of the stick because he gets essentially charged for essentially abating uh, Jules and her escape and um, essentially looking at this hard drive. And he has to go to the mines for 10 years is his sentence. Um, which I don't think there are mines in the book. FYI. I think that's a difference as well. Right. I don't know. It would make sense that there would be. And just maybe that non unmentioned or quickly yeah. mentioned or something. But he, so I think his character must sort of either break out of that or come back in some way. I imagine he'll be an important part of season two. Yeah. Cause his thing in the book is that he, is kind of the ears for Jules because they talk yeah. to each other from Silo 17 to 18. And he kind of relays what's going on there. She relays what's going on there. They have long rambling conversations about stuff. Mm-hmm. He kind of like grows weary of her. He's like, wow, she really wants to, she really is like entrenched in this view that like what's happening here is bad. I don't know that I really feel it the same way. Yeah. Uh, I really wish I could just like love her, you know, yeah. <laughs> she yeah. didn't have to talk. Um, <laughs> So I, I there I, I wonder if there's a mechanism somehow that he will have access to her in uh, a, in the other silo. Yeah. Like he can be sort of a three way. But again, I don't know because we didn't really talk about her friends, but someone like Shirley, someone like Walker, they have the sort of communication devices that could work across silo. I don't know. Yeah. Lucas seems probably like one of those characters who will grow the most across this show mm. because he starts out with like such Almost no role no role but it is going to perhaps have something like thrust upon him or have the opportunity to like just get bigger 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 and then make a really important decision kind of like a neville in harry potter right where it's like starts off as a sort of nobody kind of a you know a throwaway or like a you know someone you can just be like get out of the way neville yeah yeah and then at the end is it becomes the one who beheads uh the snake I actually haven't read Harry Potter, oh. so I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, cool. So, Lucas Kyle, watch out for him in season two. Some honorable mentions. You want to go through them real quick? Uh, yeah. So, uh, the the digging machines, the diggers, they're um, only hinted at in the book that, you know, they exist is like underneath the silo they they dug the hole and now they're like you know essentially put away for now yeah and the show they see one and it kind of looks like a big old like spider that sort of like with arms that just strip mine the the walls of the earth mm-hmm. i wonder if any of the silos like fell in like did they that's like a lot of big assholes right next to each other yeah i wonder if any of the caves like any cave ins or anything like that maybe but did they dig like 150 fell in or something i don't know I have no idea. Pretty successful uh, the founders. mining rate. Um, and then I'll lump these two together, but like, well, maybe not. Juliet's mom's death is different in the book than it is in the show. In the book, her she has complications with Juliet's brother when he's born. He dies very quickly. She gets depressed and takes a long walk mm-hmm. off a short pier. Um, in the, in the show, 
she is it's something we haven't talked about a flame keeper mm-hmm. uh basically somebody who like keeps the flame alive for the the past the pre-silo times uh as a sort of like rebel um and she was she did that work and then it was also discovering how to use a microscope for healthcare reasons to like stitch up her son's heart although he was older he wasn't a newborn mm-hmm. um but at a certain point the raiders from judicial came and broke it apart uh and that put an end to that i thought it was interesting that like the two things you couldn't have in the show's world were microscopes and lifts did <laughs> and you hear what? this L- like elevators oh yeah yeah because I, ma- I made a joke earlier that I was like, I can't wait for there to be like no stairs. It's just like, why can't there just be like elevators to get from one to 140, you know, like let's go faster. But one of the things that they say specifically that you can't have to the two things they say specifically, you can't have are microscopes and lifts. It's like, why can't you have elevators? Either. I'm so, I'm interested. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, th- maybe they're just like, rela- like f- maybe to make rebellions less, Oh, easy? Yeah. Yeah. You have to work your way to the top. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. That's I kind of thought of that as I was reading or as I was watching. I was like... There's a lot of stairs. There's a lot of stairs. And it kind of makes sense to sort of like position, obviously, like the, you know, the ent- the government entities towards the top because it's like if somebody really wants to take them down, they got to they gotta trek a long way. It's kind of like in, in battling in the Middle Ages and stuff. It's like yeah. the higher ground usually won. True. For good reason. Hmm. And it's warmer near the surface. It's not as cold, probably. Which makes doesn't make sense, right? Because you're closer to the core than the bottom. Well, maybe if you get further and further, but there's got to be a, a place like in the middle-ish where it's just the coldest place ever. Um, so <laughs> that's not Juliet's mom's death. Uh, we mentioned the Flame Keepers. These are basically just like, yeah. it's a, a thing that's been created to sort of brand um, rebel-like yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And then her dad, Juliet's dad, is the last thing. They're estranged because of how he reacted after her mom's death in the book. Same thing here in the show. But he is much more of a presence in the show and um, gets tied into the whole like birth subplot that is around. He was one of the people who was taking out fake birth control devices from women's arms and pretending that like, oh, you can have a baby now. But it really wasn't taking out the birth control as Allison found out in episode one or two. Yeah. Um, so he he I guess is is a cog in the machine and it's something yeah. for Juliet to react to. He's not a flame keeper. He's not, not a, a keeper. he's not a questioner of power. He's a sheep. He's a sheep, that's right. There you go. Think for yourself. Uh and that's I think that's I think that's all of it. I think that's silo. There's probably, there's probably some we missed, but there's probably more. Should we reclassify this as like Loose or reimagined? Do you think loose is still good? I think loose is still good. I think loose is still good. I mean, it still follows the same trajectory um, from the book. Just like they they dug deeper into the earth and found more and pulled it to the surface. Chef's kiss. There you go. Um, Eric, was the adaptation successful? I would say yes. I think. I th- well, you know what? I'm going to say grade incomplete because as someone who's only read the first book, I feel like I've got the first half of the show, first half of the book mm-hmm. in the show. And I am ready. 
I, like we need to land the plane. Right. Like, did I have a good flight last week? Yes. Because I took off and I landed. We haven't landed yet. So <laughs> I, right, I, I almost want to like withhold. Okay. Until, until we get there. Two. Yeah. But I, I, I do feel like we're in a good, we're, we're on, we've reached our cruising altitude and we're, we're all safe. happy. We're, we're all safe. Yeah. We're cruising. Okay. Except for the one person who opened the hatch. Yeah. <laughs> they're outside now. But anyway, everyone else is doing good. Um, I agree. I, I think it was successful. I, I will say because um, either although, although the tone is relatively is, is different in the sense of like mystery versus um, not mystery. Um, I think th- the spirit of the, sh- of the show is the same spirit of, of the book. And it tells a story the same story with the bare bones and it kind of gets the job done and it's a, and it's a great show. I mean, it's, it's not a failure of a show. Um, so I would say it, it was, the adaptation was successful and did, did we like it? Did we like watching it? I did. Um, my wife even watched part of them with me. She didn't watch all nine episodes like I did yesterday, but <laughs> she watched a couple of them and was kind of into it. I was like, damn, you know what? We should have spread this out. It would have yeah. been a good, good show to, I think it does a good job of creating mysteries and creating questions of the world writ large that mm-hmm. aren't easily answered just yet. And so I th- I think they're, it's, it's almost too bad that this show is on Apple. And I, I feel like that for everything that's on Apple, mm-hmm. cause like those shows just don't get noted by anybody. What do you mean? This, like the critics watch watch it right yeah, but that's not that's the critics what do you mean like people and like real people oh in the world yeah they don't matter like everyone's talking about succession no yeah. one's talking about silo i thought silo was pretty good well succession didn't really get going until like season two or three probably like people didn't really start talking about it it takes a while it's funny like i was thinking about this earlier today like movies people talk about them right as they come out yeah and like TV shows, it takes them a while to kind of get going. It's, it's almost funny. like season two it starts. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally like Succession. Nobody was talking about Succession season one or probably season two as well. I didn't start hearing people talk about it until season three. And that's when I that's when I picked it up. I was like, okay, I'll check this out. I still need to watch season four. Probably, but I've not watched it. But like Game of Thrones, same thing. It, nobody picked that up until like season three or four. Because once, once things start to happen, it's funny. Like TV shows just take longer to catch on. Well, there's too many of them. That's that's probably part of the problem. But the internet does love to rally around one. One show, yeah. Like people don't quite do that, but like the internet loves to do that. The internet's like we have to talk about succession. They like to make they have to make memes of it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Maybe I mean if if this show has a great season 2, people will probably start talking about it. It's funny cuz it's like you always get recommendations from shows, right? You got to see this show, you got to see this show, but it's such a time commitment. But it's because it's such a time commitment that you get so attached to these shows. Yeah. Right? And like you love these characters and blah blah blah. But it's like I'll get I'll get to it when I can get to it. I'm watching this other show now, kind of thing. Right. It takes people a while to like get on these shows. It's not like going on to a Saturday matinee, like, oh yeah, that was really good. We should talk about it. Except for you. You watched nine episodes fucking yesterday. So. Well, you know, if you're a professional, you can do that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. This I, is my theory. I just feel like Apple is the is like the lowest used of all of the streaming Probably. services and so it's like this is a good thing on it but like is one good thing gonna get somebody to join maybe a ted lasso i don't know maybe maybe it's just like having enough of a library at some point to get someone to join or like a paramount plus maybe is, is below apple like definitely a, in terms of things people would want to watch i would even say like disney plus is pretty low now too hulu is lower than no hulu's up there hulu's good 
Is it? Hulu has like nonfiction stuff. They've got docs. They've got like Atlanta. They've got the FX shows. Yeah. What else do they have? What else do they have? The Bear. <laughs> oh, The Bear's good. The, yeah. That's FX. that's the show. That The Bear is now the like monoculture show. Yeah, that's true. I People feel like the like internet it. has rallied around The Bear. I've seen first three or four episodes. It's pretty good. Yeah. I haven't seen any of season two yet. I've, I saw season one. I feel like if you're a foodie, like you're into that. You want to see what's behind the scenes. Yeah. That's a right. That's a... Is that based on a book? I think it's based on... I think it's based on Maddie Matheson's like life as a as a chef. Have you been to one of his restaurants? I know you like to go to the Six. Probably. T R O N T L. What what are his restaurants? I don't know, sure. but I think he I think he has some. My buddy like who lived there, he said he would see him out all the time. He was just a degenerate. I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen I've seen what he looks like. Um. Uh, anyways, <laughs> hot takes. Um. Eric, you go first. So I, I noticed this when I was reading the book and then I really felt it in the show because, you know, I mean, it's whatever. Some of the actors are from, I think Rebecca Ferguson is Swedish, but also like British. Mm-hmm. Ian Glenn is Scottish. Uh, David Aiello is, is British, but he does kind of like a bad American accent here. Mm-hmm. Whatever. There shouldn't be any accents in the silo. There, there wasn't any, was there? No, it was. I'm just laying out how there was accents everywhere. No, there there weren't accents. There are people in the book who speak in like a like a southern kind of like I don't want to say hillbilly, but kind of like a southern like uneducated accent. Okay. And then there are, are just like British accents and like you know who had a British accent in the show? Ian Glenn has like a really bad American, no. almost British. <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson has a sort of. It's not stressful. British. No. David Ellowes is kind of on the cusp. No, his was American. My point is that there shouldn't be any accents anywhere. And there weren't. And there weren't. It shouldn't even be American because it's 140 years after they moved into this. American is the most plain accent. America has various accents. Yeah, but like if you have the have you standard... been to have you been to Baltimore? I know you were born in Maryland. You've seen, you've heard the Baltimore accent. I actually, I could not. I I don't know what the Baltimore accent is. Well, it's kind of like I don't actually believe that they have one. Oh, dude, you're, that's wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like Philly, but different. Philly yeah, doesn't have an accent. Oh, water? There are <laughs> oh, people yeah, who say water. water. Yeah. That's true. Oh, my God. But there, so there's a New York word. accent. There's a Boston accent, right? There's a New Jersey no, accent that's different. So the DC there's accent. There's a Midwestern accent, you would is, say, right? Is, maybe. There's a Southern accent. But like if you give there's the a Texas standard, accent. Like if you give them the standard American accent. There's like, a California accent. Like the DC, accent. like. No, I'm not arguing with you that DC yeah. doesn't have an accent. That's what I'm saying. So that's like, that's what I see the American accent as. And that's what these people are doing, I think. My yeah, my my point is that like after 140 years of 10,000 people oh, living in a silo, they everyone should just be like speaking they, the same way. And there'd be no, no white there would there would be, be white people? Do you think with 10,000 people? Do you think over time like the white people would still get with the white people? Oh, probably. Uh, that's a good question. It's only 10,000 people. That's not that many people. Yeah. Like our there, high school had like how many, a thousand, sixteen hundred people. There were a bunch of, that's a, not a lot of people. I guess you stay in your like strata. So if, if you start with whoever is in mechanical, you probably yeah. just. Well, I was going to say that I think mechanical versus like the higher ups would have different accents. Right. I guess they would develop they, their own mechanical accent. That's yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So there all would right, be fucking right. access. Okay. All That's right. my hot take. All right. Your hot take is fucking wrong. All right. All right. All right. Move on. <laughs> um, What's your stupid hot take? <laughs> that the silo is not wheelchair accessible. 
There are no elevators. There are no ramps. They're just stairs. They actually had a. There was a brief moment in the show where there are people carrying somebody in a wheelchair. Yes. And I almost laughed out loud because I thought, holy shit, they didn't think this through. And they thought, yeah, fuck it. We're just going to carry these people up flights of stairs. Yeah, because I guess if you're, yeah, you get infirmed or sick or whatever and you need a wheelchair. There are wheelchairs in the infirmary, right? Yeah. But you can't get anywhere with them. Also, where the hell are they getting their water and oxygen from? They just have a filtration system in their silo that brings, that, that makes the oxygen clean to breathe. Also, where yeah. the fuck's the water coming from? From the ground. All of it? Yeah, you, Continuously? It's never going to end. Yeah, it's like right. oil. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, is everything electrical? No, there's got to be gas and stuff. I mean, if you really are dissecting it, like if you think about how large the United States is and we produce a lot of different things, you'd have to be very strategic about where you place the silos because you would want access to natural gas probably. Yeah, that's true. You don't really, I mean, I guess oil would be important, but it's not like you have like engines. Electricity the generator. You, you probably want. That's true. The generator, I guess, produces the power. So it's uh, that like core that she was cooling down. Yeah. Whatever that was based on. Listen, whenever I become a billionaire, I'm building my own silo. I need to know how this stuff works. I think you'd want to be probably. So in the show there, when she goes over the hill, there's like a cityscape behind her. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that was supposed to be like New York City? Was it just supposed to be a, a city? I guess we, we, we kind of assume they're in the United States. That's well, there was a book. So the book in the show is Georgia. So maybe Maybe it's it's Atlanta. Atlanta. Oh, have you read any of the other books in the series? No, but I'm interested in doing so now. So maybe it is Atlanta. It's like the walking dead. Oh, there you go. Another dystopian. Uh, (laughs) So I was thinking like Wyoming would be a good idea because you have access to like Trona to natural gas to oil. Mm. Um, There's mountains, which would have rock, which you could use for, for stuff. Plus a low tax rate. Gotta have that. Yeah, no sales tax. <laughs> Delaware. <laughs> sales tax holiday. Anyway. Show or book? Um, uh, book for now. Land land the plane for me. Okay. And then we'll talk. But I, I think I, I really enjoyed the show. Same. I like to see where it goes. Same. I'll definitely be watching season two. It's a toss-up for me, show or book, but um, really enjoyed reading it, really enjoyed watching it. So uh, I'm going to be political. I'm going to be a politician and not make a, not answer your question. Oh, you're going to be in the middle of a uh, Russo and, and John Locke. Exactly. I don't know who these people are, Locke. but isn't John Locke in the, um, he's the guy in that TV show. Lost. Lost. Yeah. <laughs> God, that show was so bad. I had a conversation about this like last week about people who were mad about Lost because they're coming out with a book uh, that's like behind the scenes allegations of like it being a bad work environment. environment and oh, all that really? Stuff. I was like, can we just, <laughs> just let it be? Let, leave it, let yeah, we it all go. know Matthew Fox sucks. That's why he's not in Hollywood anymore. <laughs> we, we know this, right? Like we, we, we dealt with it at the moment. Yeah. And we, Matthew Fox, well, he, he almost became a star. Like they tried to make him. Yeah. He Hollywood was the tried. villain in that Alex Cross, Tyler Perry. I don't know. Why do I know this? Off the top yeah, of my head. <laughs> You're really invested in Matthew Fox. Uh, yeah. But that movie didn't do well. And then, um, no one else from that show became a star except for Evangeline Lilly was in mcu now oh that's right right for wait, what show oh yeah he lost i was like what? yeah yeah john Locke didn't do anything yeah i think that's it 
important show for me because you know the finale came out freshman year of college and i watched nine episodes in a day to catch up before the finale <laughs> came out no that was that was on netflix as a streaming show like one of the earliest oh was it really shows i streamed on netflix i think was lost i wonder what it's on now it was on netflix forever huh. justice for lost justice <laughs> final thoughts what will we remember most um i wasn't sure so i just put the set design i i, I did admire it um it was very cool like the vibe of the show and the sets was just cool it was like i could live here this could be a place i could hang out it's like retro futuristic i would say yeah they've got like these curved um everything is very curvy not super curvy but like you got the stone it's like almost like they're ex- the brooklyn's exposed brick mm. and you got you know like the curvy like retro stuff i don't know it's just it was a cool vibe i feel like it's like it's like a realism apocalypse where it's like we had what we had we built built it how we could build it yeah. with like the tools we had with us which but are we're like not the old make school it look tools like absolutely shitty yeah although they have been living there for 140 years so it's it does have some wear and tear yeah yeah i like the i like the grand staircase i was i was imagining when i read the book as i mentioned that staircase was kind of like on the outside so did i actually um but so I, I i think the middle makes more sense yeah and then you know when people jump off they can jump to different landings yeah. if they're lucky and other things um and then you can imagine like warfare happening on those stairs yeah yeah more easily because you wouldn't have the like wider vantage to like shoot down yeah. at people so th- i think functionally that's probably helpful yeah because i was just imagining like the rebels coming up the wide staircase and it's like if you have a machine gun and they're like so exposed if they're just on the wall right, right, right. But if they're tighter in the middle it's much more difficult yeah plus it's like dna Oh right. Yeah. Well, you could, you knew that. You it's could, a single helix. Yeah. yeah. What? And a double helix? What are you talking about? Well, the, the double helix are just two helixes combined, right? But it's just one swirl. I'm I guess not, it could be. I'm not an expert. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I don't know. Expert. I don't know. What's your favorite? What's your final? I don't have any thoughts. <laughs> we have just crossed the two hour. I know. This is <laughs> super. This is our longest podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we did watch ten hours worth of content. Um. So. What do What do I have to say? What do I like? That's right. At this point, people have probably turned it yeah. off anyway, so it doesn't really matter what yeah. we say. You know what? I'm gonna recommend Common the rapper. <laughs> That's what I'm. You should. You should recommend Lost. Yeah, I'm gonna recommend Lost. If if you haven't seen Lost, what's your favorite Common song? Name three fucking songs. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're all so good. You know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm inspired to listen to a Common album because I know he has a famous album. Uh, I think it's called B, or he's got one before that. That's like, I think it was best. Yeah. He's got like a he's got what considered one of like the best ever um, hip hop songs. Um, if I can find it here quickly, he's an Oscar winner, I believe. I think he wrote a song for uh, that Selma movie. Oh yeah, that's right, right. with John Legend, that starring David right. Ayelowo. That's right. Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon is vacation uh, maybe. I can't remember. Resurrection. I'll send it to you. We'll post it on the socials. Probably not. I'm going to buy it and take a picture of it. No, I thought it was called something else. Yeah. I can't remember. Like Water for Chocolate is the name of the album. Oh, is it? Okay. In 2000. I think that was the big one. That sounds right. Oh, B, B was also nominated for a Grammy for Best um, rap album. 
Was it? All right, we should just end yeah. This we're we're looking at this. <laughs> um, cool. So, uh, thank you for listening. If you made it this far, uh, check out our most recent episode on Daisy Jones and the Six, and keep an eye out for our next two episodes. Um, we're gonna take about a month or so off. Um, we gave you enough content. Gave you two hours of content. Enjoy it while it lasts. Um, so. The episode in September is going to be on poor things. Um, so we're going to start our uh, Oscar uh, bait season here in September. Uh, so poor things, which is going to be a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. And the book is written by Alistair Gray. Um, so check those out and get them at your library or wherever you find your books. Uh, if you want to read along. Uh, and then in September, I'm sorry, in October, we're going to be doing killers of the fire moon, which is the Martin Scorsese joint with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, that book is written by David Grant. Um, and yeah, so read that as well if you're interested and in, in follow along. Um, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. Go listen to Common. Go watch Lost. Uh, buy an iPhone so you can watch Silo. Absolutely. So easy, easy things to do. Thank you so much. And we're gonna send an e- we're gonna send an email to Hugh Howie after this. Hugh, if you're listening, I respond. hope <laughs> <laughs> he's probably not listening. I hope not. <laughs> um, thank you and. Yeah, I'll see you, see you around or whatever. I want to go outside. <laughs> <laughs>